two weeks ago, um, we talked about Jesus and, and him offering his yoke to people. He says, my, my uh, burden is light and my yoke is easy. And we talked a little bit about um, choosing to yoke ourselves to Jesus. When we're born again, when we make that confession of faith, we become yoked to Jesus eternally. But this process then starts of, let me back up a step. At that point, and, and Kennard is helping me to understand this better. At that point, our, our spirit became one with God's spirit. And when, when Kennard and I meet, he's always got a cup from Panera Bread, and in it he has tea, and in that tea is honey. And he describes to me that our spirit and God's spirit are like the honey and the tea. You can't take the honey out of the tea. It's, it's, it's one together. It's, it's one spirit. We're one spirit with God. Our flesh, on the other hand, has no connection with God. It's at enmity with the Holy Spirit. And, and its desires are always opposite of our spirit that's one with God. Then the, the part of us that's in play, so to speak, between now and the time when we go home is our souls. And, and so from faith to faith and glory to glory, we're becoming more and more like Jesus in our soulish manner, in how we think, how that drives how we speak, how we act. And the soul is the battleground between the enemy and God. That's the place that they're trying to win. The, the, I promise I won't whack you. The, the battle is for what, we, what I would call the fruit of our souls. What, what comes out of our lives? What's, is it good fruit? Is it bad fruit? From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If it speaks evil, bad things, then we know that the heart is, is not good. Uh, if the light inside of you is darkness, how dark is the dark, or how dark is the light, right? So, so the more that we surrender to the truth, the more that our soul will transform and, and will be more reflective of Jesus. The less, then the more reflective of the kingdom of darkness will be. So we talked about these yokes. And then last week we talked about a specific yoke that, that we can be yoked to Jesus in, in the macro sense, in that we're born again, our spirit is one with God's spirit, but our soul hasn't been transformed much yet at the beginning. And there's different parts of our emotions, of our thinking, that's not yoked to the way Jesus thinks. It's still yoked to the way the world thinks. And so we talked about one of those things last week, about being yoked to this, this spirit of anger. And, and afterwards, I talked to somebody who wrestles with anger, and they said, well, you did a great job of kind of telling me what I already knew. Anger wasn't good, but you didn't do a great job of telling me how to get loose from it. And I was conscious of that. I, I thought about that, but it was already like, you know, two-hour sermon, so I, I, I passed a little bit. So today I want to give you some sense for how do we get loose of some of these things. How do we actually facilitate that process of transformation. The other thing I want to do, if you were here last week, is I, I spoke to you about anger being a symptom, but not, not a root. That there could be some brokenness inside of us. The enemy could be aware of that brokenness inside of us. And he uses his knowledge of that brokenness as he shoots flaming arrows. Ephesians talks about these flaming arrows of the enemy, or fiery darts, maybe your translation says, that then he uses as thoughts to stir us up to bad, soulish response to things uh, that allow him then to build up fortresses inside our minds. So anger is not a root 
It's a symptom. But anger isn't always just a symptom of some root that needs to be dealt with inside of us. Sometimes it can just be a soulish response or a fleshly response to a situation. Sometimes anger is nothing more than the fact, a symptom that would indicate to you that your, your spirit tank is low, that your, your time abiding in Christ is lacking, and therefore your responses aren't coming out of Christ they're co- or your spirit. They're coming not out of your spirit but out of your flesh because your soul is this unruly thing that wants to act how it knows to act, and it needs to be brought into um, um, submission, but even more than that, um, it's an ION word. It just needs to be changed. It, it's going to act how it knew to act when it was in the world until it learns that there's a better way to act, and it actually believes that that's a better way to act. That's that transformation that comes about. So that's kind of where we're at today. Um, Lauren has had m- massive, awesome transformations since she got engaged with the ladies and she got engaged with the Lord, really. I mean, you know, that's just the, the, the introduction to the Lord. It's the Lord's work. So um, she had posted on Facebook about a situation of her life beforehand. And maybe could you just take a minute and share about that one from the Facebook? Yeah, you want me to read it? You can read it or you sure. can tell about it. I just I had it in there because I, I kept referring back to it. Because it's it's a beautiful expression of the outcome of what I'm going to teach you today? Uh, Well, I've dealt, as past tense as it can be, um, dealt with anxiety and depression for as long as I can remember, probably from day one of life. Um, And it snowballed, and there were like big points where I could tell you, yes, this is what I was dealing with um, when I was a teenager, um, the first major time I remember dealing with it, I was in eighth grade. Columbine had just happened. Scared to death to be at school. Who wouldn't be, right? Um, and so I, like, started being fearful of just being in a place that should be safe. Um, when I had my oldest, I was 18, didn't know I was dealing with postpartum stuff, um, just genuinely afraid of people touching my child, holding my child, something's going to happen. Um, when I had Ella, it seemed to get a little bit worse. Didn't realize it. Life was chaotic. I kind of brushed it off. Um, when I had JR, he was in the NICU for a couple of days. I never really recovered from any of that. It snowballed so bad. Um, when I went for my follow-up appointment, Jesse even said, I think you need to talk to them about being medicated. There's something going on. And I thought he was a crazy one. Um, but there was really something going on, and I didn't know how to deal with it. And it turned into... A monster, just insane amounts of crazy literally coming out of me all the time. Um, I would lay on the couch. If Jesse was home, I was fine. If he was sitting on the couch with me, I could function normally. I could clean the house. I could cook. I could get dressed. I could do what I needed to do. If he was gone, I couldn't do anything. Um, I would just sit on the couch and be shaky and JR would sit right next to me and experience all of the same things and JR is living that same life. Um, and we're working on that because that's going to go away for him too. Amen. Um, but it, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I felt like I was dealing with it. Like I was, um, living in survival mode all the time. It didn't matter what was going on. Um, I finally gave in and went and saw a therapist and I saw her for about a year and she got to a point where we weren't getting anywhere. 
Um, I had talked to her several times about how I thought it might be a good idea that I actually get committed. Um, but that was scary too, because then I'm walking away from my family. Um, and that never happened, but she referred me to a psychiatrist. So I had to start seeing a new therapist. Um, my new therapist at the time, she is amazing. She is a great human being, very open. She listens. She has a lot of insight, and I made a lot of progress with her. She kept always telling me when I would get anxious, go back and find the truth in the situation. Um, like, what did I do? Um, what didn't I do? So when things would come up, it was like, well, that's something that they created. I'm just dealing with it with them, and um, that helped a lot. But it was still there. Um, when we bought our house that we have now, I had been doing okay med being medicated. Um, and for some reason, when we bought our house and we finished working on it and we moved in, I sat down and that was about it. Um, I stopped cleaning. I stopped caring. I, I went kind of right back to where I had been for a long time. Um, and we've been able to have good conversations about how we're not doing that life anymore. Um, whereas before, I'm sure if Jesse had said something, I probably would have flown off the handle and freaked out. And yeah, <laughs> I was not a very approachable person when it came to that kind of stuff. Um, and I was taking Celexa, Zoloft, and Xanax to start. I was on fairly moderate dose of Xanax to take as needed. Um, the Selexa and Zoloft are supposed to work together to counter both aspects of anxiety and depression in your brain. Um, and then I had a panic attack, and I thought I was having a heart attack, and we called 911, and I went to the emergency room. Um, after that, again, scared to death that this is going to happen when it's just me and my kids home and not when Jesse's home, and what am I going to do? Because if I, if I fall over, I'm going to hurt myself, and the kids don't need to deal with that. And I just It started to snowball. Um, so I went off of the Xanax and I went on to Klonopin. Klonopin is extremely addictive, um, very similar to heroin, if not more addictive than heroin. Um, so again, that's really scary. I'm willingly taking something every day that I could essentially have to take for the rest of my life because my body is going to become dependent. Um, I tried to pretend like that wasn't real and it, none of it worked. The medication would give a false sense of it working for about six weeks. I would feel really good. And then it would go back to the way it was. And then I would have a few days where I was kind of out of it, like almost like the medication was doing too much. Um, I was just very quiet. I didn't have a lot of feelings. And then um, a year ago on New Year's Day, <laughs> I jokingly said to Jesse, this is the longest my body has ever been since I was 18, not pregnant. Just joking. He leans forward and goes, we can fix that. <laughs> Jesse. I'm like, what is going on? We had just spent so long being like, we're not having any more kids. We're not having any more kids. And he flat out said, he's like, I just really feel like this is a year we're supposed to have a baby. <laughs> so I freaked out for a few weeks and I went and saw my doctor and the first thing he said is you have to stop taking all of your medication. None of this is safe for pregnancy. Okay, I can do this. <laughs> I thought I could do this. Um, and I told him I'm stopping my medication. We're, I'll keep going to therapy. We're going to deal with all of this. Um, in March, 
I got told it's not working this way. Maybe you need to go back on your medication. This is a very okay conversation. I got very emotional because, well, now my heart's in this place to have a baby and, and you kind of feel like maybe this isn't a good idea and I just, I need to work harder. I need to manage this better. I couldn't manage it at all. It was very hard. I continued going to therapy. I was going once a week. Um, I haven't been to therapy since about a month before the babies were born, by the way. Um, but um, I, I just pushed harder. I tried to clean more. I tried to shower more. I tried to get dressed more. I, I just tried to be normal more. Um, that didn't work very well because then I got pregnant and I was really sick and I was really emotional <laughs> for a long time. Like I, all I can do is lay on the couch. I don't want to lay on the couch. That puts me back in this hole I've been in all this time. Um, but it was because I was so sick with babies and, um, obviously, you know, how having babies turned out, <laughs> um, instead of one baby, we got two, but, um, <laughs> right in the middle of being really sick, Kim, um, commented on something on my Facebook and said, you need to come to Bible study so we can pray for you. And we were on vacation. Like, please tell me you do this every week because we're not going to be home for this one. Um, and I went the following week and everybody, yes, I was very sick. Um, I dealt with uh, hyperemesis gravatum, which is extreme nausea and vomiting when you're pregnant. Um, I lost a lot of weight. I was very, very sick, couldn't eat or drink most things for a very long time. Um, and I was probably about five, maybe four and a half, five months pregnant when I went to Bible study. And all the ladies stood around me, told me I was believing a lie that this is normal in pregnancy. It shouldn't be happening. I shouldn't be doing this. Um, they put their hands on me and they prayed. And I still dealt with a little bit of sickness up until the babies were born, but nothing as intense as it was. So I've gone to church my whole life, never experienced Jesus like that. That was a big thing for me. And I have missed one Bible study since then. And it's because I had had the babies and I was still in the hospital. So, um, it just, I just totally shifted my focus off of my anxiety and depression. And I really didn't even know that it had gone away. Um, like Pat asked me that on the phone last night. Well, what changed? I was like, I don't even really know. Just one day it wasn't there. Um, and I'll that, tell you what changed, but that's the sermon. Right. And it, it just stopped being that way. I, I didn't feel the crazy. I didn't feel like I needed to take medication. I, I stopped feeling all of these things that were keeping me on the couch. And I, I still get emotional. I still have days where it's... Emotional only, is just the air up here, right? just so you know. Right. Um, I still have days where... It tries to creep back in. I've had a couple days like that this past week, which I thought it was interesting that you even asked me to talk about this because the last week has been a little rough. They're not sleeping. I'm not sleeping. I'm tired. <laughs> so it's a little bit easier, I'm sure, for the enemy to come at me and try and poke and, and tear me down. And I've been doing very well of telling him to be quiet and leave me alone because I'm not, I'm not going back to that. Um, Going off of my medication also meant a good possibility that I would be dealing with postpartum depression again. And that was really scary. Um, I was literally afraid for people to touch JR. Don't touch him. Don't take him from me. You're not going to babysit him. I'm not leaving him. Um, that was very scary. Very, very 
scary thought process to have of all these people love my baby. Why would they want to hurt him? doesn't matter. Something's going to happen and you're not going to be there and then you're going to be responsible for it. Okay, so that's where I lived. And I had even expressed to my therapist, I feel like he, his life is very short and if I disappear on him, something's going to happen. That's not a good thought process. Um, so with them, there's been zero postpartum and because... What the Bible says is how I need to live my life and how my truth needs to look instead of, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. It's not that I'm not doing anything wrong. It's that I was believing all sorts of lies that either someone said at some point in my life or I just kind of picked up on or the fear of JR being in the NICU. And so when the babies were in the NICU, it was, no, I'd sit and read my Bible to them in the NICU. Like I'd sit with them on my lap and Mariah's middle name is Ruth. I read her the entire book of Ruth. David? Sat and read on the story of David and Goliath. Like, we're not doing this this time. Come on. Period. And we had already, like, you know, Jesse knew how to get a hold of my therapist if we needed it. We knew how to get me into an emergency appointment with my psychiatrist if we needed it. And um, <laughs> even having a C-section was really scary to me. And he was very concerned. If this happens, could it push you over the edge? And I just kept saying no. It, it, he had legitimate concerns. But anytime it came up, no. And I would look right at him and be like, no, because I'm not afraid of the C-section. I'm not afraid of this. I'm not afraid of this. And I'm just not, we're not doing that this time. I'm not the same Lauren I was six years ago when JR was born. I'm not even the same Lauren I was six months ago. <laughs> so it was just, he had legitimate concerns and I understand that. And he was expressing them to me. And, but I just kept telling him, no, we're not doing that this time. We are not going to be afraid of any of this. And, of course, I ended up with an emergency C-section. I ended up with babies in the NICU, and none of it shook me. So even when I did have a rough day, I cried on the way to the hospital, but I cried because I knew that it was coming to an end of them being in the hospital, and that's what I needed to stand on, not this is just dragging out forever. And it has totally changed everything about the way I live my life. Doesn't doesn't the Bible say that, when Jesus leaves, he'll send you another counselor or comforter, right? So, so, so you have this counselor who lives inside of you now, right? And tells the enemy to be quiet. Yeah. No, no actually, here's, <laughs> he what he, here's what he does. He tells you to tell the enemy to yeah. be quiet. He tells you when the enemy is speaking and you might be listening to him, and he stirs you so that you tell the enemy, sorry, I don't believe your lies anymore. Right. So you remember at the very beginning she talked about being a kid in school and she heard about Columbine and it gave her fear. The, the, the beginning of this started when she came into agreement with fear. Now, maybe it started sooner. I don't know. But it started because you came into agreement with something that's not in agreement with God, that disagrees with God, right? right? And her first testimony she shared with us when she came up here you know, a few weeks ago indicated, I'll, I'll paraphrase, but that, that she, her whole life, had felt like she wasn't loved. And the Lord had had revealed to her that there wasn't a second of her life that she wasn't loved, that she has always been loved. And what did she do? She changed her mind. She repented. I mean, repent seems like this word, you know, like you hear from some old hellfire and brimstone preacher, repent. But, but repent, it's, it's, it's what you have to do. It means to change your mind, to change the way you think. Let your thought come into agreement with what God says and disagree with anything that doesn't agree with what God says. So now when the enemy, you know, I, I should have put Ephesians 6 in here. In Ephesians 6, it says, 
that just like it does in Second Corinthians 10, that, that our battle is spiritual. It's not with each other. It's with demonic forces. And for whatever reason, God has ordained them access to our minds. So you have thoughts that are not your thoughts. I promise you, you have thoughts that are not your thoughts. I don't promise you that you have thoughts that are your thoughts, but I promise you, you have thoughts that are not your thoughts. And some of them are from heaven. The Holy Spirit speaking to you, prompting to you, encouraging you. And some of them are from the enemy. Our job then is to know the truth, discern who's speaking, and choose which to believe. And when, when, when he deceives us, because that's all he has, he's a liar, there is no truth in him and his minions, his whole way of operating is to have access. I believe in Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul speaks to these flaming arrows or these fiery darts, that's what they are. He says we extinguish them with our shield of faith, right? So if something comes into our minds, Holy Spirit says, whoa, hey, there's a fire. And then we evaluate that thought against what our faith would teach us. If it agrees, it gets to stay. If it doesn't, it's got to go. Okay. She said in the last Facebook post that she was feeling rejected, that she didn't fit in. These are the kind of things that she wrestled with. And feeling rejected is a lie. Being rejected, if you're a Christian, is a lie. Because you're accepted. You're accepted by the Lord and you're accepted by his body. If the world doesn't accept you, then you say, hey, I must be a Christian. And Jesus told us that they wouldn't accept us. That's just how it is. And if they persecute you in that lack of acceptance, you get blessed. But rejection for us is a lie. It's not true. Not fitting in is a lie. Thinking you're not loved is a lie. Medication doesn't undo lies. Medication might dumb down. You know, when a surgeon does surgery on you, your nerves are screaming, hey, right? Except medication dumbs it down so that your brain doesn't capture it and you don't go crazy during the surgery so they can actually do their work. Medication doesn't undo lies. Only thing that undoes, undoes. <laughs> I didn't go to school in Argentine, but I'll live here now. <laughs> The only thing that undoes lies is truth. Okay, so do you want to read some scripture with me? Sure. Okay, let's read. Let's start here. You read that one. This is Jesus speaking. It's John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Okay, so Jesus has given peace. He's giving us his peace. Not giving. Maybe giving is the right word. That, that flow never stops. But certainly give in is the right word. But in the second sentence there, Jesus says, do not let. What does do not let imply? It's choice, right? You could let. Do not let your heart be troubled. Or let your heart be troubled. He's telling you don't. It means you have a choice, is my point. Nor let it be fearful. So, so what he's telling us is we don't have to. Be fearful. We don't have to have anxiety and fear. We don't have to let our heart be that way. In John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father for 
the benefit of his disciples. And I want you to see the connection here between joy and truth, joy and truth or God's word. Okay, so John 17, 13 through 17. But now I come to you and these things, let me stop a second. All week long, I've been meditating on this scripture. I've been seeking counsel on this scripture because I'm not positive I'm using it in the right context. I think the principle that I'm going to show you is true, but you need to take what I'm about to say with a, with a half a grain of salt just in case. All right? Okay. Now, Jesus is praying to the Father for his disciples. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one, for they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. To to sanctify is to set apart. Okay? Now, here's the part that I'm, I'm not sure I can make this connection but I think I can. Jesus has given us peace, we see in the first verse that Lauren read, and now he's telling us about our joy, or his joy, being made full in us. He talked, 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 and then he, he talks about that happening through truth, which is the word of God. All right? So I'm making a connection, first with peace, second with joy, according to Jesus' own words here. But absolutely, you can know that the way that you will be sanctified, that you'll be set apart from the world, set apart from depression, set apart from anxiety, set apart from being an adulteress to the world, is that you're going to know the truth. And God's word is true. Jesus himself is truth. And if you will abide in that word, then you will be sanctified unto the truth of having his peace and the truth of having his joy made full inside of you. So if you're dealing with anger, you're exhibiting that which is not what Jesus has given you. It's coming from someplace else. That's the battle. You can read this and we'll take turns. You're going to make me read? I don't like to read. You want me to read it? I'm just kidding. Okay. It's fine. You can just sit here and be pretty if you want. Some days I do that. You do a good job. Thank you. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powered for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Thank you. So we don't war in the flesh. When we have, like, Teresa and I had a little stinky, mostly me. I, you know, I, I had a little stinky. And it, it manifested, but it wasn't, be, it wasn't an issue between Teresa and I. It was an issue between me and demons. Because, see, the demons pricked at me in an area of, um, I don't know, insecurity or, or some area where I don't see myself yet the way Jesus would describe me. And, and it caused something to rise up inside of me that caused us to then have a thing. But it had nothing to do with Teresa because if I was fully founded, if my identity was fully founded in Christ, even if she was trying to say something hurtful to me, which she wasn't, it wouldn't affect me. Because I would know the truth, and any other word that departed from that truth wouldn't affect me. 
But, I, you know, I'm not all the way perfected yet. And, and there are things inside of me that I wrestle with anger sometimes. And, and sometimes I say, Lord, where did that come from? There, there has to be something that needs fixed. For, for something like this to get a response out of me like this would indicate that there's places in my heart that aren't yet healed where I don't see myself the way you would describe me. Okay, so the battle is not between Teresa and I if we have a stinky. It's between me and the enemy, the spiritual demon guys, because I've listened to what they said and come into agreement with it, which has caused me to act outside of how my spirit would have me act in the Lord. It speaks to the weapons of our warfare as we do this battle as being divinely powerful. And divinely powerful specifically for the destruction of fortresses. Strongholds and fortresses are two, two words for the same thing. Best I understand what that is, is let's say um, I'm a little girl and I'm hearing about this shooting in a school called Columbine. And I start to get these little voices in my head that I think are my own thoughts. I don't even realize that they're not my own thoughts. And, and I start to take on fear. You, 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 I can't go to school tomorrow because somebody might shoot me. And the next thing that happens if we, if we entertain those thoughts is they start to build what the Bible calls as a stronghold or a fortress. Once the stronghold, or the stronghold or the fortress has been established, it's the place, it's a place. It can be many of them in our minds. It's a place now where the enemy can move in and, and start to create perception that's not real. So, so she had fears that she didn't really need to have. She had issues that she didn't really need to have because she was deceived and the fortresses were established. And now the enemy is making it such that through these suggestions that she is seeing life through a tainted lens, not through a true lens. Make sense? Right? You know, I could put on, I don't know, you know blue ski goggles and everything would have a blue tint to it. But guess what? Everything doesn't have a blue tint to it. It's only that way because... I'm wearing tinted goggles. And we, if we're not careful, then all these different things can build up inside. And, and, and the reality that we see, that we experience, the way we respond is totally jacked up because it's not real what we're responding to. Well, of course. Yeah, there's all these different things in the world. The, the world would like, she's talking about the media, the world would like you to think you know, that you should drink their beer and if you did, girls in bikinis will come and see you. And you'll have six-pack abs, and everything all day long will be a party. If you live in Florida. Right now, you know, you wouldn't do that in, a, in Michigan because it would turn into a beer sickle in about a half a second. The point is, the, the enemy uses all kinds of different devices to build these strongholds. What, what, what his desire is to get you to agree with him. Okay. All right, so the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful for tearing down fortresses or strongholds. Fortresses and strongholds, every brick or block in them is, is built out of a lie. I believe that the weapon of our warfare is the truth, that, that the sword you swing or the hammer you swing to tear down those fortresses is truth. It says this, it causes me to see like that, but the Bible says this, I'm going to agree with the truth. Bam, big chunk of fortress comes down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in September, I think it was, um, 
we were planning our baby shower and I woke up one morning and my aunt had commented on the event just that she had a bridal show. She owns a chapel and so she was busy and couldn't come. Um, that kind of snowballed fairly quickly um, for like three days. Couldn't figure out what it was. Something, it, I didn't connect it to that moment in time. Um, but I just, I was irritated and angry for a couple of days. And, um, so I was praying about it, trying to figure out what it was and realized that it was because I felt rejected over that specific comment. What in the world can I do about somebody else having plans on a day of my event? Nothing. Um, so I started trying to find ways to bring that back to what the Bible says. And I came across a thing about abandonment and rejection and how they work together. Um, and how the stronghold works. Um, first thing, if someone abandons you or hurts you, obviously my aunt's comment hurt me. She didn't know that it hurt me. Um, if the wound isn't healed quickly, it opens the door for the enemy. So there comes my irritation and anger. Um, the spirit of abandonment tortures you as you grieve and nurse your hurt, which I couldn't even do because I was so irritated and angry. Uh, the demonic spirit of rejection nests with the spirit of abandonment and also lies to you. Um, if you accept or agree with the enemy's lies, you develop a stronghold of abandonment and rejection. The thing that got me the most is that it was a demonic spirit. I agreed with something demonic. And so I was able to stop it right there and move on. Um, but it was turning back into all the same depression symptoms that I had always had over something so small. So, But like I said, the demonic thing really made me stop in my place and change my thought. Amen. That, that is the essence of spiritual warfare. You recognize and you do battle. You do battle with the truth. Okay, um, it, it goes on in 2 Corinthians 10. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's the process of spiritual warfare. Here's what God says. Here's something that wants to exalt itself, a lofty thing above what God says. Sorry, there is nothing higher or more true, right, than absolute truth. Down you go. Something that wants to exalt itself, disobedient to what Jesus would say. Sorry, Jesus is Lord over my life. His truth is the only truth that makes me free. Down you go. I don't entertain you. Now, these thoughts are, are going to feel like they're part of you. I mean, you've all experienced this. You may not know it, but you've all experienced it. Probably every day of your life you're experiencing these things. And, and, and the devil does it in such a way you think they're your thoughts. I, I, I'll share a quick story with you. I got a call from a, a friend, a dear friend, um, whose daughter was uh, just, I don't know what the right word is, super anxious. She thinks, she been watching some TV show, I think it was called Criminal Minds. And, and in this TV show, they, they must examine, like, you know, Jeffrey Dahmers and all these, these demonic, evil folks, and she's watching this stuff. And then one day, you know, a situation happens, and she has a thought, like, maybe, hey, well, it would be a whole lot easier if that person wasn't around. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I'm a, I, I have the mind of a murderer. She comes home, Mom and Dad, I'm having these thoughts. I'm afraid that I'm actually going to murder somebody. I mean, she, she'd entertained this nutsy, crazy stuff to the point where it was starting to become her truth, and she was now starting to see herself through the lens of these minds just because she had some thought that probably the, de the devil put in her mind. I, I went over to their house, and I preached this stuff to her, preached it to her, preached it to her. You're not a murderer. You're never going to murder anybody. 
that thought wasn't your thought to begin with. That, that TV show, the devil uses it to get you to think in a certain way so that sooner or later he can get you to associate yourself with those people and then all kind of crazy break loose in your life. We must destroy speculations, putting down lofty things that disagree with the truth. Embrace only those thoughts that are obedient to Christ, who is truth. Now, in some areas of your life, that's easy to do. In other areas of your life, you don't even know you're not doing it. That's why you have to be intimate with the Holy Spirit. You have to have time, um, I don't know, devotion time, I guess. You have to have quiet time where you sit with the Lord and you start to recognize his voice. You have to recognize his, the unction that comes from the Holy Spirit. And I don't have a conversational. People get up and they talk about, you know, I, I said to the Lord, Lord, blah, 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 blah. And the Lord said, blah, 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 blah. I want to slap him. I mean, I am so jealous to have a conversational relationship with God. I mean, I hear words, you know, impressions and things. But here's what I have really good from the time I've spent. I spend lots of time quiet with the Lord. Somebody says, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, whoa, thank you, Lord. No way, I disagree with that. I put that down in Jesus' name. You lying devil, I refuse to embrace your lie. I agree with you, Lord. I, I feel the unction. I feel him. He's like, hey, that's poison in your brain. Put it down. Just in case anybody wondered, not to embarrass the Moronas, but that's my grandson that just walked in there, Nikki. <laughs> For those that might not know, it's, it's, it's sort of her grandson, too. <laughs> we had a little wrestling match this morning, Tanya Grace, over your son, and I'm pretty sure I lost because you're sitting over there next to her. But <laughs> embrace only those thoughts that are obedient to Christ. Now, let me just tell you quick about my own struggle. I joke about eating. It's not a funny subject for me. It's a very personal subject for me. And... um I've not had control because I've chosen not to control how I eat for years and years of my life. And probably two years ago, the Holy Spirit showed me, because he's been showing me how to do this stuff, and he showed me that it's demonic, that, that there's some, you know, I can go on a diet and then something will happen, emotional, you know, I'll, I'll be sad or who knows what, and the next thing you know, half a gallon of ice cream is gone. And, and once I undo the diet a little bit, then the best day to start again is tomorrow. But then tomorrow comes, and the best day to start again is tomorrow. And now it's Wednesday, and it's like, shoot, there's a whole weekend coming up. Maybe the best day to start is Monday. And, and this has been my life for years. I'm five foot eight, and I weigh, well, I don't think I do now because I actually have chosen to battle this battle. But I was almost 250 pounds just a couple weeks ago. The Lord showed me it's demonic. He showed me that when I go to the buffet up in Flint and I eat so much that it feels like I swallow and the food's only, the, the farthest it can go is about there because <laughs> I'm so full. And now I'm uncomfortable and I'm miserable. I can't hardly stay awake. And I get out of the car and guess where I want to walk to? The refrigerator. Are you kidding me? I'll lay in bed and I'll be so full. And I'll think, oh, there's cheese and crackers out there. <laughs> and I'll say, I'll say to myself, literally, you're not hungry. You're already miserable. If you eat more, you're going to be more miserable. Then you're not going to sleep, and you're going to be tired tomorrow. Yeah, shut up. And then I'll go to the kitchen, and I'll get more. 
And until I fall asleep, it's all I'll think about. It's flaming arrows. I'm telling you, I had submitted myself to a demon. And then God showed me I submitted myself to a demon. And I kept submitting myself to a demon. The point is, part of me knew I was agreeing, but I got so much comfort, I guess I didn't care. But that's no way to live. So I've decided to address it. Now, I've taught this before. You may or may not remember. When I get a thought, a bad thought, I learn how to manage my thoughts. If I get a lustful thought, a prideful thought, a selfish thought, uh, any kind of ungodly thought, I feel the unction of the Holy Spirit. He warns me. He tells me, hey, you know, flaming arrow coming. And I've gotten so, so competent at that process that it's almost like I could feel the heat of the flaming arrow way out here. And I cast it down before it even, it even gets close to me, right? But I wasn't choosing to do that here. So the way that the Lord taught me, and, and you're definitely going to read that scripture, was where am I surrendering my thoughts to? To God or to the enemy? And, and Philippians tells you, be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses knowledge, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, therefore, dwell on these things. Think about these things. Set your mind to these things. And so I taught myself Psalm 23. Scripture is about as good a thing as I could think of to set my mind to. So I would get a thought, a bad thought in my head. I'm like, I don't want to have a lustful thought. So I know it's not me desiring this, but my flesh wants to connect with it. So I start to recite, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk, thought's gone. It's gone, right? So now, I get in bed at night. There's cheese and crackers in that kitchen. What's my response? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. See, otherwise... It wouldn't matter what I was doing. That's all I would think about. Until, until I went and did get that food, it's all I could think about. It, it would just go dance and dance and dance and dance and dance and dance and dance in my mind. I go get the food. I come back and eat it. Guess what? There's grapes out there. <laughs> Seriously. Now, yours might not be food. Yours might be alcohol or drugs or pornography or who knows what. But the process is the same. The way you battle it is the same. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores. No crackers, no cheese, no grapes, no nothing. It's not my thought. It's the enemy's thought. That's the process I use to fight it. Okay, so, first thing is you've got to know the truth. You must know the truth. If you don't know the truth, you've got nothing to fight with. You might end up polluting your mind with something different to get rid of this one that's worse that you're thinking about. The second is you have to acknowledge the truth. The truth is absolute. There isn't relative truth. There's only truth. If it's relative to this or that, then it's not truth. What God speaks to us in his word is true. It's always true. It's never not true. It's not true in this situation and false in that situation. The word of God is true. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's never not the truth. He's always the truth. If he said it, it's true. If he said it's negative over there, it's always negative over there. Truth is always truth. Don't get deceived by the world telling you, well, you know, it's not so true like this, but, it, but maybe for you it's true, but it's not my truth. It's nonsense. Many passed to God. Jesus is one of them. Not true. 
Try to pick a different path. Guess what? You might get what you think is a God, but it's not the God of heaven. It's some demon God or some made-up God. Sorry, that's a tangent. I'll read this one. You get the next one. John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. You have to know the truth. If you say, well, you know, I don't really need to read the Bible. I have the Holy Spirit. It's like, yep. And, and there's another unholy spirit that wants to send flaming arrows into your mind. If you don't know the word of God, the one who masquerades as an angel of light but isn't light can deceive you. And then you'll be embracing, embracing things that are sent to kill you, to destroy you, to make you miserable, to steal the joy and to steal the peace that Jesus has given you himself. You have to know the truth. If you're going to be successful in spiritual warfare, you have to, which is what Lauren did. Now, it's interesting, this word, and you will know, the Greek word there is, I don't know how to pronounce it, genosko or genosko, the way you say it, but that's the same word. The angel came to Mary. Remember the angel came to Mary and she said, you're blessed because you're going to bear the Christ child. Like you're going to have this baby and he's going to be the Messiah. And she's like, well, wow, because I've never known a man. I've never had this intimate thing with a man that would cause me to be able to, to, to conceive. How can this be? He said, well, God, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. But that word has, an, has, a, has a sense of intimacy. In Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, these guys are standing before Jesus to come into heaven on their judgment day. And they're getting the nod like, you don't get to come. And they, they, they read him their resume of stuff they did, cast out devils did miracles, prophesied in his name. Jesus says, away from me, you doers of iniquity. I never knew you. Junasco, I never knew you. There was no intimacy. There was no, there was no knowing relationship. The same way Mary would use that word to describe knowing a man in the way that would cause her to be able to have a child. You must know the truth. You can't just be aware of the truth. You must, you, you must have an intimate intimacy with God's word that will allow you to be strong and powerful when you battle because the weapon of your warfare is divinely powerful for the tearing down of these fortresses and strongholds only if you can actually wield it. Yeah, and the truth is a person. His name is Jesus, and he's given you his spirit to help you. You read this one because you like this one. Yeah, because this is how I fight my battles. <laughs> I feel a song coming on. <laughs> uh, it's James 4, 7 through 8. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So let me just ask your opinion. Is that true? Should I read it to you again? No, it's always true because it's scripture. That was a trick. I'm glad I didn't get you. Can I tell you why I, th I know it's true? Yeah. Um, for me, with this verse, it goes back to when Jesus was being tempted by the devil. Um, anytime the devil said something to him, he turned it right back around on him. And it's like, here's why you are wrong. Here's why you are wrong. And so for me, it's Jesus has already done all this stuff. I just have to keep doing what he says I need to do, and the devil's going to leave me alone. Amen. So it says submit to God, resist the devil. When you're submitting to God, you are resisting the devil. 
So when I start my little Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, why am I doing that? Because I'm submitting my mind to God because the devil has made an attack and I am resisting him by surrendering my mind to the scriptures. When when Paul gave all these things to dwell on, they were all things that in in a moment of battle, I'm not going to know you know, what is lovely and what is this. And I said, Lord, I, I get it. I'm starting to understand what you're teaching me, but I don't know what these things are. And in, and in my little, you know, I said, I don't hear words from God, but I heard the word scripture. I'm like, perfect. You could, I think you could quote genealogy. So-and-so began such and such, such and such began, what's his name, what's his name, what's her name, blah, 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 blah. And, and it will win the battle for you because it's God's word. It's not that interesting, but it'll win the battle for you because it's God's word. See, so when I get those thoughts... If I can't just cast them down, then I go to war with them. And I go to war with them with the truth that is the word of God. I had a situation one time where I had a, um, pretty sure it was a, it was a lustful thought. And um, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's poison in my mind. And I start reciting. I get to, um, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Thought's gone. But then I'm like, I don't remember what the thought was. And I'm thinking to myself, it doesn't take me that long to get from the Lord is my shepherd to that part of Psalm 23. I could sense the thought was gone. I couldn't remember it anymore. And you know what I heard in my, in my spirit or my, my God thinker? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And I knew in that moment what God was telling me was that you did what my word says to do. And it's not, you can't remember it because it was never your thought and he had to take it with him when he left. This is spiritual warfare. It's, you know, I mean, it's, it's, maybe it's bigger than this. I don't know. But I think the 98% is right here. The, the part that looks really scary and creepy when you hear the stories is because they didn't take captive those thoughts. And they allowed the fortresses to get big. And then all of a sudden you get the guy, the garrison demoniac with a legion of demons in him and... You know, all that kind of stuff goes. But if you, Dana Hill, I love what Dana Hill says. Dana Hill keeps a short account with God. Soon as the Holy Spirit shows her she's come into agreement with the enemy in some area, it's dealt with. If it's another person, even a person that's not even pleasant to be around, if she's had some judgment or some thought, calls them up, listen, I have to, I have to confess to you, I had a thought, and I'm going to ask you to forgive me. Please forgive me. Bam. Slate clean. Bam. Slate clean. Bam. Slate clean. Bam. Slate clean. Guess what she's telling the devil? You probably ought to send your resources someplace else because you ain't going to find a home here. It's called kingdom living. Yeah. And, and that's how you have peace and joy in your life because you don't let him have place in your life. So the key, submit to God, resist the devil. And then he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It says, draw near to God and earlier than this. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I think those are how you do that. You cleanse your hands, and you purify your hearts. And you don't be double-minded. See, if, if God says this, and I agree with him, and then he says also this over here, and I disagree with him, I'm double-minded. And, and, I, and I can't expect anything from God because I'm not standing in the place I'm supposed to stand so that his truth can bring me what it promises. I think that's a sense of the double-minded there. Another sense would be I want to live in the kingdom except I want this part of the world too. That's the other place you see double-mindedness. We can't have any affections for the world. It puts us at enmity with God. 
Know this, if you engage the enemy according to the scripture, he will flee from you because he must flee from you. The guy who gave him access to you is the Lord, and the guy who's running him off is the Lord because he has no choice. You don't want to read anymore, right? Maybe I'll give you a baby one next. I'm almost done. I, well, kind of almost done. Let me give you another example. And, and, and this is, um, I've never preached from this scripture this way before, but I think the principle is true. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. You'll all be familiar with these scriptures. It's, it's, it's how Jesus closes three chapters of red letters, the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew. Jesus speaking now. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall. For it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine, excuse me, and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. See, Scripture teaches us that the, the wind is coming, the rain is coming, the storms are coming. doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. The rain and the storms are going to come. They're going to come. I'm not saying this is every way they're going to come, but they're going to come as flaming arrows. They're going to come and try to torment you when you see something that could scare you, and now you have to make a decision whether you're going to agree with fear or you're going to agree with God that he's going to look after you. These storms come. So when it says and acts on them, he says love your neighbor as yourself. That's When you do that, you're acting on his words. But you also act on his words when you agree with his words. So when his word says A, and it's testing you, it's challenging you, you're afraid, but he's telling you don't be afraid. When something is telling you that you're rejected, that nobody would like you, that who knows what these things are, and you agree with what Jesus says, not with what those words say, even if that's a thing that you've thought before about yourself, then what you're doing is you're fastening yourself to the rock. And when they come, they cannot knock you off the rock because you acted on what Jesus said by agreeing with him. And the person who hears the words of Jesus, but when the Columbine, you know, it's hard to argue, make, say bad about a seven-year-old or whatever you were. I'm not, I'm not j- trying to jam up a little. I was 13. Oh, well, in which case, <laughs> But the point is, we address these things. If somebody's struggling because they've came into agreement with the best liar in the history of lying, we do it with gentleness, with compassion, with love, tenderness. Not, not well, you believed a lie. You got what you were going to get. No, we have to minister to each other in that way of tenderness. Otherwise, here's what will happen. People will get tormented, 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 and nobody's going to know about it because it's going to happen where you can't see it. And then they're going to be the shiny, nice, all looking like life is great. You know, Facebook will tell you. But behind the shadow, it's all just a big old mess. If we don't minister from a place of humility and love, understanding that whatever their thing is used to be my thing or whatever my thing is could be their thing and, and that we are not that we come together, bound together by the perfect bond of unity, which is love, so that we can all be raised up into the likeness of Jesus. It comes from agreeing with Jesus and disagreeing with the devil. Okay, so this is the scriptures from the last few weeks. I just want to bring it back to this. You want to read that one? Sure. Okay. 
John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that they, have, that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then Jesus again in Matthew chapter 11 says this, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, Jesus' yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So the question then becomes, whose yoke will you embrace? Will you embrace the yoke of the Lord and battle against the yoke that the enemy is trying to put on you when the situation comes up and you want to strap yourself to anger just as big as anything? Are you going to say, no, I'm going to strap myself to humility, to peacefulness, to I don't know what? Or are we going to yoke ourselves to anger? And then we'll eat the fruit of what that anger brings. We won't be a great reflection of Jesus. We, we might do harm to somebody else. In anger, typically we do. It's like alcohol. It dumbs down your thinking. When you're, when you're not angry, you would never act a certain way. When you are angry, it's easy to act a certain way. When you're not drunk, you'd never act a certain way. But when you are drunk, it's easy to act a certain way. Your inhibitions change. Your, your restraint goes away. So we have to decide whose yoke are we going to embrace, the yoke of the Lord or the yoke of the enemy? Do you have God's, Jesus' joy? Do you have his peace? If you do, praise God, because then you're abiding in his word. If you don't, then you need to identify what's the lie that I've been believing. You need to repent. You need to cast that thing down. Praise God, he says, if you, if you, if you sin, in this case, the sin of unbelief, and hopefully not anything that follows from it, but at the very least, the sin of unbelief, if you confess it, God is faithful and righteous or faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Identify the lie, confess it, put it down through repentance, abide in the truth. That's the process. We have to do the process together. Sometimes you do the process yourself. I'll lay in bed. There's no Twinkies in the other room because Teresa's blessed me with a safer house than we had before. Although if I ever went to Annika's room, I could probably crash and burn in about a second. <laughs> the point is, I can, I can fight that battle on my own. I've identified the enemy. I've identified his lies. All I have to do is make the choice. Am I going to do it or am I not going to do it? I'm going to choose to do it, and I do. But sometimes there are things that are really tough, really tough. We need to pray together. We need to come alongside each other. We need to make declarations over one another. No, you will not submit yourself to fear. You are strong in the Lord. His voice is loud in your spirit, is loud in the, in the, in the ears of your mind, and that you will not surrender to this thing because God is strong, and you will surrender to him, and you love God, and you will know the truth. Here's the truth that, that breaks that lie, and we minister to one another. And we all get shiny, nice, look like Jesus and draw people to him. One, one last scripture that, um, that shows you kind of this is, this, this scripture is that, that, I, that, I just, that, we, that we just shared with you this morning. It's Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. And it reads this way. Simon, Simon, Steve, Steve, Lauren, Lauren, Pat, Pat, Ben, Ben, pick them. Teresa, Teresa, Laura, Laura, Jacob, Jacob. 
In this case, it was Peter. Peter, Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What, what was about to happen to Peter? He was about to catch a flaming arrow. And Jesus, because if, if Peter was about to catch the flaming arrow, the one who's in, sovereignly in control of everything was going to allow it to happen. Jesus didn't pray, Oh, Father, you know, don't let Satan touch Peter, because Father had decided to allow him to be sifted. What did Jesus pray for Peter? That his faith would not fail. That, that when, when he experienced the test, that he would pass the test. That he would not stand and, and, and consider the lie, but he would actually stand in the truth. Now we know Peter fell, and he got back up again. And then what did Jesus tell him to do? Peter, you got a testimony. Strengthen your brothers. And that's exactly what you're doing. Your testimony is to the glory of the Lord. Mine will be to the glory of the Lord, right? Anybody think bad about her because now you know that she used to struggle? Of course not. No way. Jesse pound you to the sand if you did that. No. <laughs> he might. No, but you don't because because you know you're her. And I know I'm her. We all know that she's me and I'm her and that we all struggle with these things. And that's why God's written them in the scriptures so we can know. He's prepared us for them, right? Even my ability to walk through all of this and Jesse see it has freed him a ton. Amen. I remember the first day I met Jesse. It was at the healing room. Right yeah, in that same seat. Right in that same seat. <laughs> Has anybody prayed with you? No. You want any prayer? I don't know. I mean, I don't remember exactly the words. But it wasn't like, would you come and just, just give me a big old prayer over here, please? He had already told someone no, too. <laughs> oh, he'd already told somebody no. Yeah, you got your back healed that day. Amen. God's awesome. So, when you're in a test, what's tested is your faith that what God says to you is true. That's what God tests, is your faith. He's testing your faith. So when, when that comes up, you remind yourself of things like this, that God is faithful, that he will never leave you nor forsake you, that uh, if he is for you, who can be against you, that nothing can separate you from his love, that all his plans for you are for good. Now, the process of bringing out that good might not be the most comfortable thing in the world, but his plan for you is always good. Lo, he will be with you always. He is the rock of your foundation. Then strengthen your brothers. Pray together. Declare together. There's a great purpose on your life. It will not likely always be easy. Remember, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And when you have done everything to stand, what do you do? You stand. and, and, And you know you can stand because God has said, this is what you do. You've done it. Now you just stand and wait. And it's going to manifest itself exactly the way the scriptures say. All right. Did that make sense? She's a living example. Really, in many ways, oh, four testimonies. I had another one. Well, I'll just remember, some of you would remember this, probably most of you. Patty Carter just recently testified about some horrible abuse that happened in her life. And for nearly 50 years, she lived a very, very diminished life because she saw herself through the abuse, not through the truth. And in one, I like, I don't know, a half hour. Patty, what's the matter? Nothing. Ah, something's wrong. What's the matter? No, I'm good. All right. 
Hmm. Ten minutes later, Patty, you're not okay. Something's wrong. That's when that's when it was my turn to be done ministering. And Teresa and the ladies started ministering to Patty. And within 30 minutes, she was free. The lie was identified. The truth was, uh, was exposed. She chose in that minute, just like you. You chose to believe that you had not ever, this is double negatives, not, not ever not been loved, right? Yeah. And now you walk in the freedom of, no, freedom of knowing that, that, no, I'm good. I'm always loved. I've always been loved. That lie doesn't work anymore. And Patty's whole countenance has changed. Her relationship with her husband has changed. It's amazing when we agree with what God says, we get to have the life that he offers us. Okay, all right. That was our little special signal for four testimonies. I forgot the fourth one. Now, we're going to go into worship. We're going to praise God because he's, he's worthy of all our praise. And, and, and we have the opportunity to minister to one another. If you've got something that you're wrestling with, don't leave with it today. Maybe you get it knocked down half. Maybe you get knocked down 25%. Maybe you get it knocked down like Patty did in a second and it's done. But you've got to address these things because they're things that hinder the light of the Lord and the glory that Jesus purchased for us in our lives. It hinders that. So please, if I looked at Patty and I said, Patty, something's wrong. And she told me, no, there's not. I said, okay. But I knew because how do I know? Only Holy Spirit, right? You might have a friend that you know, they're wrestling with something. Go to them, love them, confront that thing, and get it dealt with so they can have peace and joy in their life.